Father, we love you, Lord. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to consider your word together. Lord, what a privilege it is to be a company, part of a company of believers that, that know that they have your word and that we can examine it and hear from you, Lord, in, in, this, in the reading of it, uh, in the preaching of it, in the study of it, uh, in the application of its principles and, and precepts. Lord, we hear what you're saying to us, and Lord, we don't take that for granted. And so God, would you help us to see truth this morning? Speak to us through your word. Uh, Lord, bless our lives as a result. And then Lord, use us to bring great glory to your name. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So think about Jacob and Joseph. You know, if you compare their lives, both begin with both Jacob's father, both, you know, Jacob himself, Joseph's father. Uh, They end up being deceived and a brother is treacherous. So in Jacob's case, right, Isaac was deceived and Jacob was actually the treacherous one. Um, What goes around comes around. And so what, what Jacob did to Isaac, his own sons do to him, uh, 11 treacherous brothers, well, 10 treacherous brothers, sell out their little brother Joseph, and they deceive their father. And then both include a 20-year period of separation with the younger brother in a foreign land. Jacob himself was with his uncle Laban. And here Joseph is in captivity in Egypt and then running Egypt. Uh, Joseph spends 13 years in Potiphar's house from 17 to 30. He's in Egypt. Um, He leads Egypt through the seven years of abundance and now it's the seven years of famine. And his brothers are coming to Egypt for food. So both, in both cases, these families end with a reunion and reconciliation of the brothers. And so don't miss that parallel as we go through this study. All right, in Genesis 44, verse 1, we're going to call verses 1 through 13, we're going to title this section, A Plot for Confrontation. Joseph is scheming on his brothers. Uh, He is going to bring them to the acknowledging of sin and, and, and to the point of repentance. So he, verse 1, and he, Joseph, right, he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. Because again, we already talked about this principle. They can't, you, you can't buy the grace of God. Joseph functioning as a type or a picture of Christ. They're not gonna pay for food uh, from Joseph. He's gonna supply their need. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, up, follow after these men. And when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, wherefore have you rewarded me evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh? In other words, the implication is he's gonna, once the, the, the theft, pull out my air quotes here, once the theft is discovered, what's the steward gonna do? He's gonna hold up this silver cup. You know, is, is this not, right? Is it not in which my Lord drinketh? And whereby indeed he divineth? Remember, Joseph is putting on some pretty 
comprehensive theater. They think he's with the Egyptians. His brothers think he's part of this mystery religion. He's an adept, so of course he uses divination. None of that is true. Uh, but he wants to appear that way. Don't you know this is the cup that he divines in? How did you think you could steal it? What made you think you could get away with this? Ye have done evil in so doing. So verse six tells how it goes down. He overtook them. And he spake unto them these words. And they, Joseph's brethren, said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold, the money which we found in our sack's mouth we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. In other words, the first time when our money was returned to us, we brought it back and, and uh, returned it to you. And of course, he told them, no, he had their money, not to worry about it. So here's the point. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? And then they, you know, sometimes you just make stupid statements, but here it is. With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondsmen. In other words, they know that they're innocent in this matter, so they're gonna make this outrageous claim. Whoever has the cup, uh, kill him, right? And we'll be your bondmen. So they're, don't miss this. They're, they're proclaiming their integrity. But remember, they are thieves. They stole Joseph from Jacob. They sold him into slavery. They stole him from his father's house, sold him into slavery. And then the deception that they're still running with is, you know, we got a brother that died. Uh, and they're telling it to the brother that they sold into slavery. Uh, oh, and by the way, Joseph, you're dead. <laughs> no. Joseph is the one person that knows that they're thieves. And so don't miss this, right? They sell him into slavery. Contrast that with the rash statement of verse nine. With whomsoever thy servants it be found, both let him die and we will be your slaves. So here it is, what goes around comes around. You're getting ready to be taken into bondage. Genesis 31 verse 31. Jacob says to Laban, same thing, rash statement. Laban's like, why did you steal from me? Why didn't we, I mean, why don't we treat each other like family? He's like, stealing, what in the world? What, you, you know, why'd you run off in the middle of the, what in the world? No, I was afraid. For I said, peradventure, you would take, thou would take my, by, by force, thy daughters from me. With whomsoever thou findest the gods, let him not live. Before our brethren discern thou what is thine with me, and take it to thee. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. So he makes this rash statement. Whoever stole from you, I mean, we took off in the middle of the night, right? We escaped from you because I didn't trust you. But, um, you know, whoever, whoever stole from you, they ought to die. Uh, the penalty for theft ought to be death in this case. And he does not know that his wife is a thief. So they're saying this, whoever stole, Jacob is say, or Jacob's brothers are saying to him, whoever stole from you, he should die. Well, who should die then? They stole Joseph's liberty. They stole him away from his father. I mean, who should die for being a thief? All of them. They should all die for being, out of their own mouth, they should all die for being a thief. Okay, so don't miss this. Okay, this is a key relational tip as we study the life of Joseph. Joseph loves his brothers. I mean, they've betrayed him, but he knows that he's responsible for them. And he also knows that full restoration is dependent upon the acknowledging of sin and repentance over it. 
Joe's all in on the relationship. They're, he knows, they're his responsibility. He gets what God is doing and he's gonna explain what God is doing in the next chapter. He knows that, that, that his brother's evil, God took it and used it for good to preserve this family during this time of great tribulation, this seven year famine. So he, he know, Joe, Joe understands everything that's going on. So the love and the care are there, but notice his example. He wants his brothers to be right with him. And a lot of times this happens in relational dysfunction. A couple people get sideways with each other because someone felt like they had the right to perpetrate in the relationship and then someone feels hurt by the, by the perpetrator, right? Somebody does something wrong in the relationship. And, uh, and that those, are the, those are the most grievous kinds of conflict in relationships where one member of that relationship genuinely feels hurt by the other member. And uh, what, what believers do, they, they make this mistake so often is they're, they wanna be done with the relationship. They wanna throw the relationship away. And so it can be with a family member, it can be with a brother or sister in Christ. And so this, this person that Jesus himself purchased by his shed blood at Calvary, you want nothing to do with them. Okay, so I get it, they hurt you. Uh, Be a Joseph, be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, be mature. Be the one who recognizes that God has given you a responsibility for the welfare of your brother or sister in Christ. Now it may be that you can't trust them any further than you can throw them, but you're not full of bitterness toward them you're not, in other words, you may not give, you, you may not give them continued opportunity and license to keep, perpet, you know, perpetrators gonna perpetrate, right? And so you may, not, you, you may not be rolling in a way where you're facilitating that for them to, to perpetrate on you, but it doesn't change the fact that you can love them, you can forgive them. Again, trust, right? The start of trust being restored would be them acknowledging the sin Right, it would be their repentance over the sin. That's the starting place for uh, um, a trust to be to be rebuilt. Okay, uh, but 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 notice Joseph. He doesn't throw his brothers away. He's all in on the relationship. He just wants the relationship to be right, and that is always right. That always requires truth. Right, there's got to be an acknowledging of the truth. And so just just keep that in mind. You're going to have people that betray and hurt you and you're gonna be tempted to be done with them, to throw them away. You need to not be bitter against them. You wanna forgive them, you wanna be a Joseph, you wanna be mature, and you wanna own that relationship. Again, you're not facilitating people to keep following after cray cray, okay? You're not not there, uh, but but you're you're not bitter and full of hatred, anger, and resentment. You can give all of that to the Lord. If the Lord Jesus Christ can hang on the cross of Calvary, and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You can forgive your wife. You can forgive your husband. You can forgive your brother or sister in Christ. Trust in the relationship is based on truth in the relationship. Is everybody with me on this? This making sense? So Joe doesn't throw his brothers away, but he is gonna, he's gonna make sure they have a rough day. <laughs> they're gonna get down to the bottom. Uh, they're gonna get down to the truth, okay? So the servant replies in verse 10, and he said, now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye all shall be blameless. 
Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. (sighs) He does divine from the cup. No, he doesn't. But there it is, okay? Verse 13, look at their response. They, all 10 brothers, they rent their clothes and laded every man his ass and returned to the city. Um, just for anybody new, the Bible's not cussing here. It's, they're not talking about their glutes. These are their rides, okay? These are their, their donkeys. So they return to the city. So in verses one through 13, what Joseph is doing, he's determined to bring his brothers face to face with all that they have done. And the question on the floor is, whenever they see they're about to lose their little brother, will they have compassion on Benjamin? This will be the test of true repentance. This will be a test of true character growth. You know, will you make the same mistake twice? So Benjamin was arrested, but notice this. All of the brothers returned with him to face the music. Man, that's beautiful. They're owning their brother's problem now. They're with him in that. He's not gonna go through this alone. But more than that, the chickens are coming home to roost in their own life. Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure your sin will find you out. And they end up coming to that conclusion. We'll see that here in this second section. Uh, Genesis 14 through 34, we're we're gonna title this section a plea of confession. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. Again, notice that picture of their repentance, their prostrate before Joseph. Uh, Already they've torn their clothes in grief. We're losing our little brother. I mean, they tore their clothes in grief, just like Jacob did when they brought, you remember when they sold Joseph? Reuben comes back to the pit. Joseph's not there. Reuben rends his clothes. The boy is gone. What do they do? They they take a kid, a little goat. They kill it. They bloody the cloak, the the, the coat of many colors, the garment that uh, that Joseph got from his father, and they bring it to Jacob. We don't know what happened. Is this this Joseph's coat? (laughs) In, In Genesis 37, 34, Jacob, Israel, he rends his clothes in grief because he knows he's lost his son. So what's happening? What goes around comes around. Be sure your sin find you out. History always repeats. How you dish it out. God makes sure that you face the same scenario. Now before, think about Joseph. He's in the pit. He's pleading with his brothers. Judah couldn't care less. He hates his little brother Joseph, he couldn't care less about his agony. He didn't consider his cries. He doesn't care that he's hurting Joseph. But now Judah is crying before Joseph. The tables have turned, right? Judah is crying before Joseph. But notice this, okay? It's not just impotent whining, okay? He's willing to die for his family. Don't miss what, J- what Judah is going to say here in this next section. More than that, okay, he's, I mean, what we're seeing in Judah's life is he's mature now. You know, Joseph, a type of Christ, leads him to the acknowledging of sin. That's what we're gonna see next. Leads him to the acknowledging of sin and to repentance. 
I mean, it's a beautiful story. Moreover, he does not sell his little brother out. He doesn't abandon Benjamin, okay? What we're gonna see in this section is they actually pass the test. You know, had they abandoned Benjamin, uh, Joseph could have let him go home, right? They leave, Joseph could have released his brother, brought him back into his life and home, and then he would have to consider his options on the level of care that he'd provide for his brothers and his family back in Canaan. Like he would have, he would have a clear conscience to consider all of his options. But notice, these guys are responding rightly now to this confrontation over their sin. They start to, it, it's starting to dawn on them Uh, God is dealing with us about our sin. Notice in verse 14, they bow before Joseph the third time. Right, the third time they're bowing before their little brother. Notice nobody's scorning about Joseph's dreams. Right, they don't even know they're fulfilling them, but that's exactly what's happening. Look at verse 15. And Joseph said unto them, what deed is this that ye have done? Wot ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? Okay, big question on the floor, verse 15. Was Joseph a diviner? What's a diviner? A diviner, someone who uses divination. The Bible reveals to you in the book of Acts that it's actually a familiar spirit that makes divination possible. Uh, it's div- divination is witchcraft, okay? So is Joseph using divination and witchcraft in terms of how he knows what's going on with his brothers, how he's dealing with them, how he knew that his cup was in Benjamin's sack? Is it divination? If you're even remotely paying attention to the story, you know it's all theater. It's not divination, it's theater. In terms of, <coughs> in terms of Joseph's spiritual gifting, uh, what, what, is, what is Joseph? Is he a diviner? Does he look in the liver to find out which direction he should go in life? No, he's not an adherent of a Babylonian mystery religious system. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't roll that way. Uh, Joseph has the ability, like Daniel has the ability, their ability is to interpret dreams. Joseph is a little bit more. He, he is actually a, himself a dreamer of dreams that God uses to communicate with him. Uh, but, he's, but he's not, he is not an adherent to witchcraft. He doesn't use divination. So the answer is no. What this is, is, is this is theater. Joseph knows the truth because he's been writing the script. He knew that the cup was in Benjamin's mouth, the mouth of Benjamin's sack, because he had it put there, right? Joseph has been writing the script of what's going to be true this entire time. So he did not actually use divination to discover their theft. What he did is entrap his brothers. He's using theatrics now to enhance his brother's awe of him. Nothing gets by this guy. Like, what in the world? How did this cup get in our sack? What? Like, how could this be happening? And this guy knows, and, and they know that they didn't take it. But there it is. They're condemned now. So his brothers are in awe of this man who now has all power over their very life, not just to give them food to sustain their life, but he can snatch it away, and they see that. Get this down in your notes, though. Divination is sin. It is strictly forbidden to God's people. Divination is sin. It is forbidden to God's people. Um, People use divination all the time. You know, people... 
people will, okay, before God, this is just an illustration. I am not gonna turn my Bible into a Ouija board, but people will do that. They will turn their Bible into a Ouija board. How do they do that? Lord, should I go tell Sarah that it's your will that, she bees, that she's my wife? Should I do that? What do you say? So they'll open their Bible to the page. Ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, praise be to the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. That can only mean yes. <laughs> that can only mean yes. I mean, I asked the Lord, I opened his word, I didn't, I didn't look. Hear my voice, let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. For thou, if thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who should stand? Of course that can only mean yes, because if I was asked, like, like I wouldn't even be able to ask the question, should I go tell Sarah, it's your will that she's my wife? Says the manipulator, okay? But what are they doing? I mean, you know, what do you do? Like, you ask that question, and it's crucify him, crucify him. His blood be upon us and upon us. Lord, you want me to kill Sarah? What in the world? Like, but people do stupid stuff like that all of the time. God's word does not speak to you like that. It is not a Ouija board. But people will do it. I mean, it's nuts. Divination is forbidden to God's people. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10, the Bible says, there shall not be found among anyone that believe, that uh, anyone, uh, among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire or that useth divination or an observer of times or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits. There it is again, divination. Or a wizard, there it is again. Right, the, 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 um, uh, the witchcraft, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. You do those things, you're what to the Lord? Like you can make yourself an abomination unto the Lord. Because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. You're gonna be faithful. There's gonna be fidelity in your relationship with him. You're not gonna go to other gods. You're not gonna... You're not gonna find the will, the correct will, the correct path, the correct outcome for your life through witchcraft and divinations. Second Kings chapter 17, verse 17, says they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire and used divination and enchantments and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil on the side of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So they did exactly what he told them not to do for all of the reasons they told him he told them not to do it. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. And you study your Bible, you find out they don't last long. Uh, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes Judah captive. Look at Acts 16, verse 16. Here Paul is with his missionary team and, and they're ministering and a gal, they've got a groupie. She's following them. There was this certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought our masters much gain by soothsaying. So she's got this familiar, again, we saw this in Deuteronomy, uh, comparing these passages. We see it's a spirit that's a familiar spirit. It's a, 
It's a, it's a demon, right? She's possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried saying, these men are the servants of the most high God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. So right there, that tells you, you know, phase one and standing fast. Uh, you know, the enemy tries to deceive, the enemy tries to dissuade, and what's our response? How do we resist the devil? Well, we stand in God's truth, we stand in God's word, we stand fast. Uh, when a devil is trying to get your attention and mess with you, phase one always is just ignore it, right? Well, yeah, but you know, the salt and pepper shakers moved. But that's their problem, okay? <laughs> Like, that's not our problem. I mean, that, 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 what's that got to do with me? You know, good luck tasting it. Because <laughs> you're dead. I mean, like, you know, like, come on. I mean, a demon, what, what, what can they do? Well, they can make life really rough for you. Well, what's that to you? Are you a born again child of God or not? Don't, I mean, Ephesians 4.27 was written to the church, neither give place to the devil. Don't give him space to operate in your life. What's he doing? Well, he's trying to get your attention. He's trying to be the spirit of fear that you think has been given to you. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. What, you know, what, what do we care? What, the devil is a defeated foe. What do we care what he's raging about, what he's lying about? What he, is everybody with me? Paul's first response is, am I doing it right? Yeah, it's this one. <laughs> it's really bad whenever you gotta do a lot of math. If you're gonna make the loser sign, <laughs> you gotta do the math. That's really sad. But anyway, I mean, that's Paul's response. Like, oh, whatever, loser. Okay, the problem was is it got to be a distraction. Notice this, many days. This she did many days, but Paul being grieved, turned and said, said to the spirit. The spirit didn't get the message. He didn't get the hint uh, in the beginning. So after many days, he finally has to address it. I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour and that caused an uproar. Uh, the, the people who were making money off this ability she has to divine because she's possessed, she's demon possessed by a familiar spirit. Uh, they're upset now because she can't do it anymore. Um, you know, you, there is no place for divination in the ministry. And you need to know that as we get closer to the second coming, to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, it will be as it was in the days of Noah. What do you have in the days of Noah? You've got the supernatural invading and taking over the natural world, don't you? It becomes the corruption of all humanity. You've got the, the watchers, the sons of God, now functioning as these little G gods in the world. They're selling mass deception and they're teaching enchantments. They're teaching witchcraft. They're teaching divination. And what do we have as we get closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's the same thing that we see in his first advent. I mean, when Jesus shows up on planet Earth, it sets the demonic world boiling. It boils over, and everywhere he goes, he's having to deal with demons because they're like, this is the end game. The demons, are, they, they recognize we're in the end game. The, 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 the promised seed has arrived, and we're all cooked. We're, we're, we're getting ready to face final judgment, and so they full court press. And so Jesus is having to deal with demonic manifestations all the time. Well, come to find out, 
Christ's coming is in two advents. We murdered our Messiah, we killed him, we buried him, but, but death could not hold him because he's the living God. So he satisfied God's wrath over our sin. On the third day, he raises from the dead to eternal life. All who call on him, we receive forgiveness of sin. We, re- we receive the life of Christ himself. And, and so that enters in the dispensation of the church age. And what do you have? You've got as, as the gospel permeates the world, what do you have? Well, you've got this spiritual activity, this supernatural activity ends up getting tamped down. They lose their latitude and capacity, but as you get to the end of the church age, when there is a wholesale rejection of God's word, what do you have? Well, you've got the ramping up of demonic activity. Let me tell you something, during the time of great tribulation, mark it down, demonic activity will be through the roof. Why? Because they know it's the end game. Uh, They know their time is short. They're gonna be facing judgment because the promised seed of Genesis 3.15 has come. And so these are just things that you gotta recognize. There is a growing deception. People, you've got believers, Christians, who think that good witches are actually good and that if you're gonna use witchcraft for altruistic ends or, or purposes, then that makes it okay. No, it will never be okay because the Bible forbids it. You don't trust in these other gods and these other spiritual entities to be anything or to do anything, to provide anything that should come from the Lord alone. Don't have anything before the Lord in in your life. And so, but you've got it. I mean, it's in the church. There's a counseling protocol called Splunkna, and the author of that protocol says in her book, Okay, she says, and you, you see that in chapters seven through 10, she makes this case where there, you know, if witchcraft is bad, you know, why is it, it, it's, it, there's a prohibition against it in the Bible, why? Uh, why, if God didn't want witchcraft to work, it wouldn't work. So why is he, you know, why is he even allowing something like that to operate in his special creation? Well, so the logic chain goes like this, if, God's against it even though his creation allows it to take place, okay? If he didn't want divination, if he didn't want witchcraft to work, it wouldn't work. So why is God allowing it and then condemning it? Oh yeah, because they're doing it in rebellion against God, the kingdom of God, and the people of God. They're using it for evil means. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna redeem it Right, because it's a structure that works in God's creation, we're gonna redeem that back to God's kingdom. And what we'll do is we'll use divination to help God, to help God's people, right, to, 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 to further God's kingdom. Do you see the weird logic in this? Well, there's a lot of things that we could redeem then. You know, murder solves a lot of problems. I mean, there's a prohibition against that. And we got somebody that's just a honor, dancing on our last nerve, making a mess, and well, you know, just kill him in Jesus' name. I mean, like, what? No. Thou shalt not kill. What's so hard about that? Uh, my wife's not paying attention to me. Well, how do I get sexual satisfaction in my marriage relationship? <gasps> I need to redeem adultery back for the kingdom of God. As long as the people I'm sleeping around with, you know, we're praising Jesus and, 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 and you know, we're working with each other on, on, on strengthening our marital relationship. Like, it gets warped and twisted so quick. God said don't do it. That ought to settle it, okay? 
Yet you've got, it's in, the, it's in the church, you've got Christian counselors turning people into human Ouija boards to get special secret knowledge. Counseling sessions look like muscle testing and they're not even talking to the counselee. They're just gleaning data from them. Is it this, is it that? Is it in this area of their life or that area of their life? Is it this, spirit, is it this problem or is it that problem? And they just come right down through and it's like, okay, yeah, you were raped when you were 13 and you're mad at God about it. How did you know? Well, yeah, yeah it's, it's right there. It's trapped in your body. We just, we just read it. We just diagnosed it. And nobody's saying a word. Like, come, come on, man. I, I grew up using divination. Um, I, I was such a moron. I mean, it was taught to me by my family. We used it. We thought it was because we had special biology that we were able to find secret knowledge. And, uh, you know, my favorite thing was to, was to, uh, it was a party trick where I'd use a pendulum and I'd have a mother say, you know, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you the birth order of your children. You don't say anything. Uh, you just tell me if I'm right. And so my pendulum would swing one way for one answer, another way for an an another answer, or figure eight meant something else. It's been 40 years ago. Um, and then when it was waiting for a, an answer, it would just swing like this in a circle. It was waiting for me to think. I'd never, I'd never say anything out loud. I would just think at it, or I'd think at the person, and this thing would talk to me. And uh, a family member said, that's demonic. We're like, no, what are you t- you're an idiot. I'm an X-Man. <laughs> like, I have powers. <laughs> like, thank God for them because they were so patient. It's like, if you think that it could be like, if you want to know, for, for real, whether it's witchcraft or not, just command it to stop in Jesus' name. And I thought, well, okay, I'm going to command it to stop in Jesus' name, and it'll just, so, you know, I got it going, and it's, it's doing its thing, and it's, it's, it's answering me, and then it's waiting for a question, okay? And I'm thinking, well, if I command it to stop in Jesus' name, you know, entropy being what it is, uh, the conservation, like it's just gonna slowly wind down, you know, and eventually it'll come to a stop because I told it to. And I'm gonna tell my aunt this doesn't prove anything. I told it to. So whatever, so it's doing that and it's waiting on me and I said, I just spoke out loud, I command you to stop in Jesus' name. That thing mid-arc slammed to a dead drop stop. I don't have an explanation for that. <laughs> I dropped it. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry. I'm done with divination, I quit. I will, and from that point, I have never used it again. I never will use it again. Uh, I have straightly charged my children. Uh, for whatever reason, familiar spirits like talking to our family. Don't ever engage one in a conversation. You will regret it because I quit divination. Divination didn't quit me. And I was demonized for a number of years before I learned how to resist that devil uh, where it had to flee from me. Okay, uh, I was, I think I was 21 before I finally got victory over that. It was a horrible season in my life. Uh, the, demons don't like to get dumped, right? So don't, don't take up with them in the first place. Know your history. Because we have God's word, which, man, that, I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10, that which is perfect is come. Is this perfect or not? Do you have the complete word of God or not? Well, then we don't need that which is in part. 
People say, well, the, 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 the apostles cast lots. That's a form of divination. Say whatever you want about it. That which is perfect has come. There is no place for it now in God's economy. What you need to know from the Lord, it's in this book. Right? There is no room for it in the life of the believer. Do not supplant do not supplant God's word, God's truth, God's precepts, his commands with demonic alternatives. Peter, Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from the Father, God the Father, honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. I mean, you wanna talk about the supernatural. Peter's like, we had literally heard the voice of God himself. We saw Christ himself glorified. It was a supernatural event, mind-blowing stuff. He says, let me tell you what you trust in, not the audible voice that you hear. Trust in the surety of God's word. Look at verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well, that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, until the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Take God's word above any amazing supernatural experience. You, you know, and, and that's not, you could have some amazing supernatural experience. Uh, God can do whatever he wants to do. That doesn't supplant what his word says. Sometimes that amazing supernatural experience that you're just convinced that you had was actually you having a bad slice of pizza the night before and you're hallucinating, man. Okay, you had a fever and you hallucinated and you think you know something and you don't know nothing. Man, just know what God said in his word, amen? There's no place for divination in the life of the believer. So Joseph, he's not divining. Look at verse 16, this is key. What he's doing is he's bringing their sin to light because sin must be brought out into the light before it can be dealt with completely. Only then can we be reconciled properly with our Joseph, with, our, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Only with the acknowledging of sin can repentance of sin be expressed and, and we be reconciled back to the Lord Jesus. So here it is, verse 16, Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? Here it is, this is the key to everything right here. The acknowledging of the truth. God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Man, don't miss this. They were not guilty of stealing money in a cup they know they didn't steal money in a cup, but they also know that their current, right, what their, their current, what's apparent to them, this unjust suffering, it is just. It's just God bringing the chickens of their sin home to roost. Arthur Pink, in his gleaning series on this passage, he, he makes this point. He says, Joseph's brethren, at last, take their true place before God. They'd been in the presence of Joseph, though they knew him not. They'd been married before him, and now they were going their way. And Joseph then sent his steward after them, saying, Up, follow after the men. And when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have you, re you rewarded evil for good? In like manner, the Lord sends his Holy Spirit to follow up his work in the heart of the awakened soul. The steward brought back 
the brethren into the presence of Joseph once more. Thus too does the Holy Spirit bring the convicted sinner back into the presence of God. And notice the sequel here. Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. How blessed this is. What a change from their earlier attitude before him when they were affirming that they were true men. Now they give up all attempt to clear themselves. They take a place of guilt before Joseph, acknowledging that God hath found the iniquity of thy servants. This is the goal Joseph had before him all the way through. And this is the design of the Spirit's work in the center. Not till he ceases to vindicate himself, not till he comes into the light, not till he owns he is guilty and unable to clear himself can he be blessed. Once the sinner acknowledges before God that he is undone, lost, it will not be long till Christ is revealed to him as the one who can fully meet his deep, deep need. And so it was with Joseph and his brethren. So Joseph is presenting as this supernatural power and before him they confess their sin. Do you see the picture? Incredible. So here's, here's Judah's response. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, God forbid that I should do so, but the man in, whom, in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Okay, think about what Joseph is doing here. You know what can happen here. They can sell out Benjamin. They can go back and find. Joseph has his true brother. He's got the son of the right hand. And there's an option for the rest to starve, if that's what they want, right? For all Joe cares, they can, st- I mean, if they can sell Ben out, then they can go hungry. Or he can just barely keep them alive. I mean, jo- Joseph has all the options available to him. He has the option to just start over with Benjamin. And God could raise his promises up through him and Benjamin. I mean, Joe's thought this whole thing through. And so let's see what the brother's response is gonna be. And look at Judah. He is now the spokesman for the brethren. Judah came near unto him and said, O my Lord, let my servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have ye a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead. There it is plainly and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou saidst unto thy servants, bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidst unto thy servants, except your younger brother come down with you, you shall see my face no more. And it came to pass when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord, And our father said, go again and buy us a little food. And we said, we cannot go down if our younger brother, if our youngest brother be, if our youngest brother be with us, then will we go down. For we may not see the man's face except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father said unto us, you know that my wife bare me two sons and the one went out from me. And I said, surely he is torn in pieces and I saw him not since. And if you take this also from me, and mischief befall him, you shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the child's life, 
It shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us that he will die. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant, speaking of himself now, Judah, became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, if I bring him not unto thee, then shall I bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come upon my father? Okay. Judah is still, don't miss this one thing, even, as, even in, in what for him is now, he's copying to everything, full repentance. He's still saying his brother's dead. Don't miss that. And this is a picture of salvation is what we're seeing here. Do you know you're not gonna confess all your sin when you call on the Lord Jesus Christ for repentance of sin, in, in repentance of sin and for forgiveness over sin? I mean, the moment you recognize your sinner and, and, your sin, and your sin separates you from God, you didn't even recognize the half of your sinful condition. There is so much sin, there is so much wickedness bound up in us, we can't even see it. I mean, we see just enough to recognize we're not right with our Joseph, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you, you see that? So don't miss that in the picture. A lot of people wrestle with their salvation because they think, did I really confess my sin? Did I confess, or the, did I confess all my sin, or did I really believe enough, or did I really pray in faith? And what are they doing? They're taking the sufficiency, the provision of salvation away from the sufficiency of Christ's finished work at Calvary. They're taking it from Jesus and they're placing it on themselves. In other words, I need to have enough faith. I need to pray hard enough. I need to be sincere enough. I needed to confess, you know, confess all my sin enough, and and. It, Man, you'll spend the rest of your life growing in faith. You're gonna spend the rest of your life learning how to call on the Lord. You're gonna spend the rest of your life finding pockets of sin and rebellion that need to be confessed and turned over to the Lordship of Christ. Um, so don't, don't miss that thing. But, but, but here it is, Judah is repentant. I mean, he's willing to be a bondservant in Benjamin's stead. I mean, he's got compassion toward his father in verses 30 and 31. 20 years earlier, he couldn't care less about, about J- Jacob's grief. He couldn't care. Jacob's weeping over his son, and he's fine with that. Now, he's conformed, he's mature, and he can't bear the thought of his father losing another son. So don't miss the picture. Here's Judah, his willingness to, be con- to become a bondservant, right? To, to lay down his life in Benjamin's stead, perfectly pictures what Christ did for sinners. He took our place and received God's wrath over our sin. Judah has entered into maturity, right? You see he's conformed now to maturity. This is what Christ did for us. He laid down his life and suffered, Christ, suffered God's wrath for our sins. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he's willing to lay down his life for Benjamin. I mean, what an incredible change has been wrought in his life. The one who sells him out, sells his little brother out, and can't care less about Jacob's tears, can't bear the thought of his father coming to grief, 
can't bear the thought of losing his little brother. What an incredible change has been wrought in his life and what brought him to this place of transformation. The words and actions of him whom God hath highly exalted. What brought Judah to a place of surrender? The place where he's willing to lay his life down for his little brother. I mean, what brought him to this place of maturity? It was Joseph. It was Joseph. That's what Jesus does in our life. He brings us to the end of ourself, to a place of surrender, a place of self-sacrifice. You know, Judah doesn't make excuses. He just pleads with this all-powerful man for the life and freedom of his little brother. That is self-sacrifice, that is maturity. Matthew Henry makes this point. It's a great, incredible observation. He says, Judah's faithful adherence to Benjamin, now in his distress, was recompensed long after by the constant adherence of the tribe of Benjamin to the tribe of Judah, when all the other 10 tribes deserted in 1 Kings chapter 12. Benjamin stays faithful with Judah. Uh, that, that willingness of Judah to lay down his life for his little brother wasn't lost on Benjamin. Uh, he, his family knew that Judah would, would stick up for them, that Judah would stick it out for them. But don't miss this. I mean, go back to verses 14 and 16. Notice they're all rending their clothes. They all return to face the music. All the brothers are now in repentance. They're acknowledging their iniquity before the Lord. And they're willing, they're all willing to remain as servants to Joseph. And so that begs the question, right, in your own life, has the exalted one, right, has this person that God hath highly exalted, has the Lord Jesus Christ brought you to the place, boxed you in where you've had to acknowledge your sin? the exceeding sinfulness, the wickedness of your sin. Has that happened? Has your life been transformed? A lot of people make the mistake of, of trying to sign up for heaven. Um, they, they, you know, if, if the gospel is true and our sin does separate us from God and, and, and the wages of sin is death and, and death and hell itself are cast into a lake of fire, that would be a bad outcome for me. And, and, uh, and then they'll take a flippant view of the way of salvation and, and they'll just try to sum it up with maybe Romans 10, whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, I'll just call on the name of the Lord and I'll be saved. And there's no acknowledging of sin. There's no, it's what a lot of little kids end up doing to please their parents or they wanna go to heaven with their parents. I wanna be saved. And too many moms and dads are complicit in that deception. And so they pray a sinner's prayer, not even knowing what sin means, and they call on Christ because they wanna be with their parents forever. <clears throat> you got, it's effectively people signing up to go to heaven, and it doesn't work that way. You can't just decide you're gonna be reconciled with God, back to God. You have to first come to the place of the acknowledging of your own sin, of your own wretchedness before the Lord. God loves you, he's not willing that you perish. Do you believe that? But at the end of the day, right, you are going to acknowledge your sin before him. Whether it's in this life or at the great white throne judgment seat, you are going to acknowledge your sin before the Lord. You're gonna confess 
the Lord Jesus Christ. You're gonna confess his sufficiency, whether in this life or at the judgment seat of Christ. If you do it today and recognize as a sinner the fact that your sin separates you from God and that God can't let that stand because he loves you, he wants you in his life. So he sends his son to live the life that you can't live. God in the flesh takes your sin to Calvary and suffers God the Father's wrath over it, completely satisfying God's wrath over everything you did wrong. Like at some point you gotta acknowledge this, that your iniquity has been found out before the Lord. A lot of people, they, 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 they do, they actually do see it and they confess Christ in repentance of sin and they are reconciled back to God. And then they go through life, something happens in life between their flesh, this lost world, the lies of the devil, they end up living for themselves. And you're just going through the motions. You call yourself a Christian but you're not actually living Christ. What Jesus does, I mean it's the same thing that Joseph does, he brings you to the point where you're willing to lay down your life for the brethren. So as a believer, are you, are you fitly joined to this body? That's one way to lay your life down for your brethren because you have a responsibility to them, to edify them, to help them in their growth. That takes self-sacrifice. You see, if you're not being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you need to ask yourself, why is that? Is it because I'm covering up instead of acknowledging sin? Is it because I'm holding on to excuses instead of just giving them to the Lord? What's hindering your fidelity to the Lord Jesus Christ? Father, I come to you in Jesus' name and Lord, I'm asking, you're the one that searches, you're the one that tries the reins of the heart. You see the heart, you see what we're thinking. You see how we excuse or how we explain our rebellion. God, you see all of this and so Lord, I'm just asking that you'd pour out your spirit in conviction. Let us be done with excuses. God, have your way with every heart, every soul. Lord, we need that. So God, we ask you and we trust you for it all in Jesus' name, amen.